0: Did Pope Francis just initiate the Third Vatican Council? If you've watched this YouTube channel for a while or this podcast, you know that I previously said that Cardinal Martini, who's kind of the godfather, the don of the St. Gallen Mafia, all these terms are described on the podcast here and in my book, Infiltration. uh, What they wanted, what the modernists wanted, was a Vatican II world without end. (laughs) <laughs> the bad thing about Vatican II is that it ended in 1965. They wanted to keep going, keep going, keep going. And so what has emerged is the idea of synodality and perpetual council or perpetual perpetual synodality. Man I respect a lot who's written and spoke a lot about this already is Matt Gasper. He's back with us. We talk all, all about these synods, Matt, and uh, people really enjoy your perspective. So, so welcome back. And uh, before we start, you, I'm going to put up the... Uh, the what you called the Sesame Street logo <laughs> of the Perpetual Synod. There it is on the screen. Synod 2021 to 2023 in sort of yes. lowercase crayon.
1: <laughs> Brought to you by the letter E for embarrassment, yeah,
0: Or by the letter <laughs> S, maybe. So, Matt, give us some background on this. I mean, Pope Francis is excited about this. Synodality has been hallmark of his pontificate. And of course, it goes back to the Concilium crowd, you know, during and after Vatican II, they wanted to keep the council alive. That's why they have the journal Concilium. Keep the council going, keep the council going. And I think most people identify that with spirit of Vatican II. But this new direction of Pope Francis is more aggressive than just a spirit. So explain it to people.
1: Right, so that's interesting you bring up the concilium. I was doing a little looking into their history the other day. Let me see if I have the uh, webpage still pulled up here. And I think one of their founders was Eve Congar, if I remember correctly. Um, he was. A, now, yes, yes, he was. He was one of the founders. And interestingly, Pope Francis quoted him in his address for what, what they called this meeting of... Um, or excuse me, moment of preparation or moment of reflection, I think it was called, for the the day before the Synod opened. So Fa- Francis officially opened the Synod this past Sunday, October 10th in Rome, the day before uh, Synod members gathered for this moment of reflection, during which Francis said, and I'm pulling up the quote here, he quoted Father Congar, mm-hmm. Uh, there is no need to create another church, but to create a different church, end quote. That's a quote from Congar. So that's clearly, Francis is connecting this, the Vatican II progressives, um, Congar was at the forefront of that group. He's connecting them with all this synodality and this, whatever this is supposed to mean, this quote from Congar, not a new, another church, but to create a different church, which really is creating another church.
0: Yeah, I mean, this sounds like something that you hear from, you know, the letters of Archbishop Vigano, creating a different church, exactly. and here he is saying it. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And that's exactly what I said in my uh, comments earlier this week to LifeSite News. They wrote an article on the, the opening of the Synod, and I said in response to this quote from Kangar, that it calls to mind what Archbishop Vigano wrote in his first major intervention regarding the Second Vatican Council, the one that was released uh, or dated June 9th, 2020. Archbishop Vigano says in there, quote, that from Vatican II onwards, a parallel church was built, superimposed over and diametrically opposed to the true Church of Christ. This parallel church progressively obscured the divine institution founded by our Lord In order to replace it with a spurious entity corresponding to the desired universal religion that was first theorized by Masonry. Speaking of Nancy Pelosi's meeting with Pope Francis, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's it's sad because if people are watching this, make well, y'all are kind of maybe I'd like to get the objections out of the way. Y'all are kind of making a bigger deal out of this, like a different church. I mean. Doesn't the church change? But you got to remember that since 1965, there's been a different, well, since this 1970, we'll back it in, there's been a different mass, a different rite of baptism, a different rite of confirmation, a different rite of penance, confession, a different rite of extreme unction. I mean, everything, a different breviary, a different liturgy of the hours. Right. Uh, Since 83, a different code of canon law. Different, different, different.
1: Yep.
0: And obviously the agenda, we of course would argue going back in the 1800s, but clearly from the 1960s is the people in charge and the people coming into charge don't want Catholicism and the Catholic Church to look like how it did before.
1: Right. Right. And I think a perfect uh, a perfect case in point of that, our, our friend and colleague Edward Penton, the Rome correspondent for the National Catholic Register, recently interviewed Cardinal Mario Gretsch, who is the secretary general of the Synod of Bishops. So he's kind of the stage manager, the puppeteer, so to speak, replacing uh, Cardinal Lorenzo Baldessari, who's finally retired after uh, a disgraceful tenure, really. So this is what uh, Edward Penton asked him. Uh, let me see the quote here what does it mean to be the church of the third millennium? we hear this a lot from Pope Francis Pope Francis claims that God expects of the church the synodality for the third millennium he says that repeatedly and so Edward Penton says what does it mean to be the church of the third millennium? is it about adjusting the church to the spirit of the times? or rather having the world adjust to the wisdom of the church's teaching? So talking about bringing a different church into into being, this was Cardinal Gresh's response. The church of the third millennium cannot be the repetition of the church of the second millennium, just as the church of the second millennium could not be the repetition of the church of the first millennium.
0: Uh, this is I think heretical. A, <laughs> this is heretical. There's one holy Catholic and <laughs> apostolic church. It is the same church. And, you know, going back to the Pope Francis quote that you just shared, let's think about this. God expects this new synodality. Why didn't, if it's so good, why didn't he give it to the first and second millennial church? Why did God hold out? Right. Why did he allow them to be in the error of whatever was before?
1: And I'll give you a, I can find the quote real quick from the—so we're going to discuss, I think, today two documents uh, for this synod. The preparatory document, which is kind of like the theory behind it, and then the handbook or the vademecum, which is like the practical how-to uh, guidebook for this thing. So in the handbook, it claims, quote—this uh, is in the introduction— in creating the opportunity for listening and dialogue on the local level through this synod— Pope Francis claims this handbook is calling the Church to rediscover its deeply synodal nature. So uh, to me, it's similar to what happened at Vatican II with the resourcement, trying to, you know, uh, on a false pretext, go back behind scholasticism or before scholasticism and claim that they're, you know, reclaiming the authentic tradition of the Church— when in fact they're they're just trying to weasel their way out of the precision of St. Thomas Aquinas yeah
0: yeah they say well we got to go back to the early church which means we need IKEA tables the priest facing the people plants everywhere gotta have lots of plants on the altar below the altar Got to have all that and we got to put presider chairs up behind all this stuff is all going back early church, but in reality, it looks like the 1960s, 70s, 80s, whatever.
1: So this quote goes on to say from the handbook, this rediscovery of the synodal roots of the church will involve a process of humbly learning together how God is calling us to be as the church in the third millennium. So apparently how we were the church in the first millennium is not good enough anymore how we were in the church in the second millennium is not good anymore. We have to learn how to be some kind of new church for the third millennium. Yeah, You know, there's a a spiritual
0: author named Joachim of Fiore. Joachim of Fiore. He's very popular, especially amongst the early primitive Franciscans and spiritual Franciscans. He said that the church would have three ages. The first age would be the age of the father. The second age would be the age of the son. And the third age would be the age of the Holy Ghost. And in the third age, grace wouldn't be mediated. I mean, there's illusions that you won't need sacraments. Mm -hmm. It'll be a spiritual. In fact, a lot of Protestants appealed to Joachim of Fiore by saying, aha, we're getting into the third age of the Holy Ghost, where we don't need the Pope and the priests and the sacraments. It's just Jesus and me, that idea. Right. And that's this idea that somehow the Catholic Church is going to go through a three-age period. I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that in the church fathers. It's sort of this late medieval idea that was actually condemned and not promoted. I think St. Bonaventure was kind of into it. I might be wrong on that. But but still, it's minority view that that we're going to transform and become a different church, to use the language, right? A different church. Hmm. I don't want to be a different church.
1: No, definitely not. Definitely not, but I know somebody who did, and I think you were going to talk a little more about him, was Cardinal Carlo Maria Martini. Yeah, let me put him
0: on the screen for everybody. This is Cardinal Martini. Not Appletini. You might expect (laughs) that he'd be Cardinal Appletini. It's Cardinal Martini. And uh, he was... I mean, he was the, the kingmaker. Very influential. He was in Milan... Uh, very powerful amongst the the Italian bishops but also throughout Europe and he's the one who called for women's ordination um he was very critical of the church's teaching on sexuality he yep. also questioned contraception uh the t- the church's teaching on contraception um yeah and and i think from a from a historical point of view, you need to realize that Milan, which is also where Montini came from, that's who became Paul VI, right. Milan is a banking center, a metropolitan center in uh, Italy, and it's very key uh, when it comes to the financial intersection with the spiritual yes. intersection. As uh, Francis just says, now coming everything to understand is
1: connected. That. <laughs> As Francis says, everything is connected, right?
0: Yeah. Everything is connected. So, um, I mean, I have all of his positions in front of me, but I don't. I don't know if we should go through them. It's pretty much everything that would you would assume a liberal cardinal would believe. He right. did, um, but he did it back before people were public about it. You know, pre-Francis right. days, pre-Benedict days, uh, back when it was controversial. He was being bold, and you know. Being open to women's ordination and lay ministry and um, civil unions and female deacons,
1: right? Basically, supported Saint, female deacons. The whole agenda of Francis comes from Martini and the St. Gallen Mafia. Yeah. There was one article I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, a young lady named Julia Maloney, who's recently written a book on the St. Gallen Mafia, which I've reviewed and and uh, had the privilege of endorsing. She wrote an article last month for 1 Peter 5 called The Weapon of the St. Gallen Mafia is Synodality. Mm -hmm. And just this is what she wrote. At the Mafia's January 1999 meeting, according to the authorized biography of member Godfrey Daniels, Martini shared the latest permutation of his dream. And this is a dream basically of the synodal church that he talked about back in the 80s. He said he wanted a new council. It was the deepest dream of a man who would one day tell Aldo Maria Valle, a famous Vatican journalist, that the time of Vatican II had been the greatest period of his life. And as you said earlier, they, the progressives just never wanted it to end. They wanted it to be perpetual. So she goes on to say later that year at a synod on Europe, and that was held in uh, October of 1999 under John Paul II, Martini stood up and shared a version of this dream. Invoking Vatican II's memory, he spoke of a future, quote, collegial and authoritative consultation among all the bishops. End quote. Then he listened, uh, listed, excuse me, the key issues to address collegiality, from sexuality to the deficit of ordained ministers, et cetera, et cetera. So during that 19, October 1999 address, even though he never used the term council or new council. Essentially that's what he's talking about. He's talking about an extension of Vatican II, a de facto Vatican III. Yeah,
0: which can perpetuate, because I mean, everybody remember, all the controversy that we've been discussing for the past three years has all emerged from the synods. Right. The synods are the cauldrons from which all these monsters pop out, all these potions come. And And it's
1: much easier to manipulate a synod than it is an ecumenical council. I mean, think about it. The pope can hand-select who he wants to be in the leadership positions. He can hand-select which bishops throughout the world, for the most part, are going to participate. It is so easy to manipulate these gatherings. It's not like an ecumenical council where it truly is every bishop in the world, so you have some actual uh, debate and some actual... Uh, pushback from more conservative and traditional minds you can manipulate these synods very easily yes uh,
0: one of the things that we forgot to mention on cardinal martini he is the godfather don of the San common mafia he's sort of the liberal spiritual mind of liberal european catholic clergy he's also a jesuit Yes. We need to mention that. He's a Jesuit. He died in, in 2012. And what happened in 2013? Well, 2012, we had sort of this big investigate. Well, 2010 to 2012, the big investigation of which Archbishop Vigano was a part of. Yep. Sort of the anxiety and the papal leaks that happened all throughout 2012. Cardinal uh, Martini dies in, I believe, the summer of 2012. And then we have a papal resignation, a conclave, Pope yep. Francis. And we know from the likes of ex-Cardinal McCarrick, and we know from Cardinal Daniil's that there was this group with an affiliation with meeting in St. Gallen, Switzerland. When we yep. say St. Gallen Mafia, we mean St. Gallen, Switzerland. That was the hub. That was the meeting Great. place. And I've explained in my book, Infiltration, why it has occult origins and histories Um in the 1900s, in that area, um, but he's a Jesuit, and in a way, his mind is downloaded into that of Francis. Yes,
1: yes. I think some people even refer to him as the ante Pope, not meaning anti, like against Pope, but before the Previous. the proto, the prototype for Francis. Yep. A N T E. Yeah, people
0: need, you know, we talk about Bugnini a lot. He's the one who, you know, designed the Novus Ordo and rewrote all the liturgies. But I I really think we traditional Catholics, we need to also start making ourselves familiar with Cardinal Martini. Because when it comes to the theoretical elements in in the implementation of these liberal ideas, especially under Francis, it comes from Cardinal Martini.
1: Actually, my predecessor at Catholic Family News, John Venari, God rest his soul, um, yes, he actually very early on in the Pontificate of Francis wrote a dynamite article called The Martini Pope. Mm -hmm. So he was very early on, was catching on. There's a significant connection here between Cardinal Martini and Cardinal Bergoglio. What's next? Well, should we get into these uh, documents a little bit? Yeah, let's do the documents. All right. Now, they are, of course, you know, rather lengthy, as most Vatican documents are these days. Of course, we won't be able to go over everything. I am planning, as soon as I get time, to, to put some of this in article form, some of the analysis and commentary that we're going to cover today, but uh, we'll just kind of give a brief flyover version. But you can it's very obvious from the beginning of the preparatory document that it's all about Vatican II, and it said, I'll just read a little bit from the first paragraph to make that point. All right, so paragraph one says, with this convocation, meaning the synod, which again, Pope Francis officially opened this past Sunday, October 10th, and every diocesan bishop is expected to do the same in his respective diocese. This coming Sunday, October 17th, Uh, so he says, With this convocation, Pope Francis invites the entire church to reflect on a theme that is decisive for its life and mission. Here's that quote again about the third millennium. This is Pope Francis. I believe it's from either a 2015 or 2017 speech. It is precisely this path of synodality which God expects of the church of the third millennium. I don't know how he presumes to know that that God expects that, but he apparently does. The quote goes on from Maybe he got
0: a private revelation.
1: There there you go. Maybe Maybe the third
0: secret of Fatima is, have the church be synodal. Maybe that's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to ask Chris Ferrara about that. (laughs) Um, So this document goes on. This journey, which follows in the wake of the church's renewal proposed by the Second Vatican Council is both a gift and a task by journeying together. And that's really the the image for this synodal way is journeying together, like the crayon drawing. All the people are going in the same direction. We don't know where they're going to, but they're going somewhere. So and why journeying- is it written
0: in crayon? Right. <laughs> I mean, can I just take a moment? Let's blow this up here. And in yes. fact, uh, someone in the comments just said the artwork, artwork says it all. Yes, Synod you know. 2021 for a synodal church, communion, participation, mission, and all these people. I mean, there's like a, is it a tree? Is it an orange tree? An orange I have no
1: idea what that's supposed to symbolize. I don't know.
0: It's- I mean, this is like something cute that Margaret, my five-year-old, brings home from school. And I'm like, that's cute. And then I say, well, what is it, though? Yeah, exactly. He has exactly. to explain to me what, what exactly it is, Interpretation. Why are all the logos in the last 10 years coming out of the Vatican so lame? Even the year of mercy was like this weird looking thing.
1: And I got to, I'll add this since we got this picture on the screen. So when Francis gave his address at the moment of reflection on October 9th, this is what he said. The Synod, while offering a great opportunity for pastoral, a pastoral conversion in terms of mission and ecumenism, Uh, is not exempt from certain risks. I will mention three of these. So these are the three primary risks that Francis identified for the Synod. The first one is formalism. The second one, believe it or not, is intellectualism. (laughs) Apparently he's worried that it's going to be too intellectual.
0: So formalism is bad, and intellectualism is bad. Yes. All right, what else is bad?
1: And, And then just on the note for intellectualism, it's really he really indicts the last several synods unknowingly. He says the synod can turn into a kind of a study group, the usual people saying the usual things without great depth or spiritual insight. <laughs> uh, wow! I mean, th- there
0: is a pompous judgment over the past here, on their right. part. Right. We we kind of mock and and laugh at all this new the newfangled liturgies and the new vestments and the new architecture and the new music and the new logos, you know, we kind of have a little fun with that. But to them, they look back at Thomas Aquinas or the mass of St. Pius V and they're just, you know, drinking their teenies and laughing about how dumb all that was.
1: Right which is why I think they get so enraged when they see the, the, the traditional mm-hmm. Latin Mass and tradition in general growing. Yes. And and, and as you've probably heard, our, our friend Diane Montagna blew that story wide yes. open at the Catholic Identity Conference. Her transcript is available at the, the Remnant website. I highly recommend reading yes. it. So anyway, the Francis, uh, you know, these three things, the three risks are formalism, which basically is that, the Synod is just a formality, but he says we need content, means, and structures that can facilitate dialogue and interaction with the people of God. And I mentioned the intellectualism. The and third and might, thing I, up, might I
0: add here, people yes. of God, so everyone out there needs to understand what that means. Yeah. So during and after Vatican II, they started using the phrase people of God instead of the church. Right. That the and so people of God is anyone who is of goodwill, and that includes your Jewish neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your Buddhist neighbor, your Hindu neighbor, uh, your Sikh, any any other religion who is nice and will show up at your ecumenical gathering once a year and and allow the bishop they can put all this all their religious stuff on the bishop. Right. And he'll like laugh and, <laughs> and like act really cute, you know, and like wear yep. a headdress of a Native American and a yep. Hindu cord. And he gets the, they put all this junk on our hierarchs. Right. Uh, all those people are people of God. Yep. And so you'll see Francis use this and you have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, people of God meant Israel.
1: Yes.
0: It was the church. Right. And in the New Testament, it's the church. But people of God is sort of, you have the church, baptized people. Yep, the, the concentric the circles, yep. And then you have Protest, Eastern Orthodox, Protestant, Jew, Muslim, yep. and, and this is all people of God.
1: I once had a priest actually explain that to like, trying to convince yeah. me that that is the case. Yeah. So the third thing on Francis's list of risks for the Synod is complacency. And he sums that up as, quote, the attitude that says we have always done it this way. And guess who he's quoting himself? Evangelii Gaudium, number 33. Uh, He goes on to say, those who think this way, perhaps without even realizing it, make the mistake of not taking seriously the times in which we are living. I I would argue that the the man saying those words is the one who's not taking these times seriously in which we are living, uh, with all due respect. Mm -hmm. And he says, the danger in the end is to apply old solutions to new problems. And he goes on to quote our Lord saying, you know, new wine in new wineskins. <clears throat> it is important, he says, that the synodal process be exactly this, a, prom- a process of becoming, evolution, a process of becoming, yeah. a process that involves the local churches in different phases and from the bottom up very significant phrase, from the bottom up, in an exciting and engaging effort that can forge a style of communion and a participation directed to mission. But the, the, the key question I have is what is the mission? Because right. I don't see anything about the salvation and sanctification of souls in any of these, in either of the, the documents, the preparatory document or the handbook. Right. None yeah. of that's really discussed.
0: And in... And- before 1960 the missions meant sometimes nuns but usually priests and religious going to pagan lands right where they loved them assisted them in some places fed them and provided education and medicine and also taught them that their religion was false and that the truth was Jesus Christ now, they might have recognized truth in their culture. Even some lights, as Baron calls them, of truth in their religion.
1: Right.
0: But they never said, now, therefore, you can stay in your religion. They always said, but in order to be saved, repent, believe, and receive baptism. The mission here, what is it? Right. I'll tell you what it is, Matt. Dialogue. Yep. You know who likes dialogue? Read Genesis, the first few chapters, Genesis chapter 3. Who's the first dialoguer? Yeah. The devil. That's right. Because, you know, if you dialogue with someone who's smarter than you, they can trick you. Yep. That's
1: you right. You know? And speaking of dialogue, I mean, you're exactly right. That's what this whole synodal process is about. And it's a two year process. Uh, We're currently in, you know, so-called like phase one, the diocesan phase is what it's referred to in the handbook, and this is the fundamental, it's literally called the fundamental question, both in the preparatory document and in the handbook. It says, the fundamental question that guides this consultation of the people of God, that's what's going on here, a consultation, as mentioned at the beginning, is the following. This is the key question. A synodal church in announcing the gospel journeys together. How is this, quote, journeying together happening today in your particular church? What steps does the Spirit invite us to take in order to grow in our journeying together? I don't understand what they're hoping to accomplish by asking the people of God those questions, which are rather superficial and almost nonsensical like what does it even mean and where are we journeying
0: to that should be defined yes exactly are we just on a journey like a, a stroll in the woods or are we on a journey to heaven yeah exactly if we're on a journey to heaven there's all kinds of things that we got to talk about like baptism confession the holy sacrifice of the mass magisterial teaching orthodoxy all these things have to be out there
1: and I think really in the in this preparatory document, whoever wrote it, uh, you know, and Francis and his team, really tipped their hand towards the end of the document in what they call ten thematic nuclei to be exposed. And I'm certainly not a scientist, but I do remember from middle school, high school science that the nucleus is the part of the cell where the genetic information is contained. So I think that these ten thematic nuclei really give us the DNA, so to speak, of this synodal process and what it's really all about. Right. And, and there, although this is uh, a, a th- is it two or three years? This is three year, right? This new one? Uh, it's it's October 2021 through October 2023, so two years. Okay, two years.
0: Although this one is two years, we we have them just about every year now. Right. So it's...
1: Which didn't used to be the case.
0: Yeah, so you might just say, well, it's only for two years, but we have to realize that when this two-year one's over, there's going to be yet another synod.
1: Right. And the difference with this one is that it's meant. this is meant to fundamentally transform the way things are done throughout the universal church. Like They want this to become the norm, this consultation right. of the people of God, basically taking a straw poll about things. That's literally what they're calling for. Which is demonstrated in the the preparatory document. Maybe
0: it'll work out, Matt. Maybe as the post Vatican II spirit of Vatican II institutions crack, crumble, and fall to the earth, and all that's left are the growing traditional parishes, traditional Latin Mass, people generously having two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten, twelve kids, right young men and women giving their life to the traditional orders, maybe after 50 years, when they consult the faithful, they'll get a resounding return to tradition. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> what's should... going to be left when the the Cardinal Martinis and the Cardinal Bergoglio and that whole generation dies? Right. No one on earth will have any memory of Vatican II.
1: Right, right. So before I get into to some of these questions that I, I don't understand, I'll have to look at the handbook again. But I mean, basically, what they're wanting to do is to survey in each diocese everyone in the diocese. And I have to read this quote. I can't from the wait handbook. to get my
0: survey. <laughs> I'm gonna staple attachments to it.
1: That's exactly right. So this is what the handbook says regarding. Uh, the diocesan phase, which we are currently in, which is going to officially begin this Sunday. Uh, and actually, I have to mention, uh, uh, Anthony Stein, who does a Return to Tradition, has got some good content online. He actually suggested the other day that, that trads kind of, in, not he didn't use the word infiltrate, but kind of get into this process and kind of insert some tr- um, defense of tradition. That's so what who I'm knows, saying. Maybe- Maybe I'll show up at my archdiocesan event and see what I can do. (laughs) But anyway, so here's what the handbook says. This is from section 2.1. Quote, Dioceses are called to keep in mind that the main subjects of this synodal experience are all the baptized. Special care should be taken to involve those persons who may risk being excluded? And then it lists several. Now, groups. does that
0: include baptized Lutherans, Methodists, Greeks? Greek Excellent Orthodox? question. Yeah. Excellent
1: question. They don't. They don't uh, clarify. All as right. you can imagine,
0: Baptists. Can a Baptist fill out a survey? I'll, well,
1: actually, they do clarify. I'll get to that. Okay, I'll get good. to that. So here's what. Here's who they list: uh, are those who are at risk of being excluded. Women, the handicapped, refugees, migrants, the elderly. People who live in poverty, Catholics who rarely or never practice their faith. It literally says that in the text. Okay. Why are we surveying Catholics who rarely or never practice their faith to discern God's will for the church? It just makes no sense. I mean, I
0: guess it could be helpful if we, you know, if it came back and said 40% who no longer attend don't attend because of sex scandals or something like that.
1: Yeah, I guess that could be a legitimate thing.
0: So is there any more on that list? Can you read the list again for us?
1: Yeah, so here's: it's women, the handicapped, refugees, migrants, the elderly, people who live in poverty, Catholics who rarely or never practice their faith, and then it just says, et cetera. So what if you're a
0: white man who does practice his faith? Do You don't get to be consulted?
1: (laughs) You're just not at high risk for being excluded, I think. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, okay.
1: So this same section of the handbook also says, while all the baptized are specifically called to take part in the synodal process, no one, no matter their religious affiliation, should be excluded from sharing their perspective and experiences, insofar as they want to help the church on her synodal journey of seeking what is good and true.
0: So a Satanist can roll up and say, <laughs> "Hey, here's what's going to help y'all on your synodal journey." I guess no one's excluded, okay? That means so. we're not excluded. T- trads aren't aren't excluded. Right. They right. say we can show up. Yep. All right, everybody. How many people are watching this right now? 1800 people. Y'all all have to promise right now y'all going to show up. <laughs> Do not be excluded. And tell them what you hope the church does and is.
1: Yep.
0: Read the Catechism, the Council of Trent. Read the New Testament and show up and say, this is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. This is the liturgy and this is the dogma and this is the morality.
1: Yep. And, and then Matt, see to if you, ha-
0: and then I want to say, see if you get excluded because I yep. bet you will.
1: Yep, this consultation of the people of God, like I said, according to the handbook is supposed to take place in every diocese in the world. So let's let's show. So up. I
0: can if I show up at my diocese I can't be excluded, is that right, Matt?
1: That's what they say. That's what they claim.
0: We'll see if they're true to their word. I'm going to I'm going to bring the the handbook with me. There you go. <laughs> so everybody so, out there do your survey. That's do
1: right. your survey. So speaking of defining the church, that's actually the first thing on this list of ten thematic nuclei, and it's under the heading the journeying companions. So again, like if Francis is concerned about this being overly intellectual, uh, no concern necessary, <laughs> because the, the the text actually says this is preparatory document number th- uh, paragraph number thirty. When we say Our church, in quotes, who is part of it? Is this a serious question? (laughs) We know who who's part of the church. I'll make a a brief plug for Uh, Matt.
0: I honestly don't. (laughs) No, I don't. I don't know. Is James Martin and all these guys part of the church? I've been reading Bellerman. I've been had lunch with Robert uh, with um, Ryan Grant this past week. I mean, I'm trying to dig deep and figure that out. Yep. Are heretics part of the church?
1: Certainly not.
0: And then you get into formal, material, right, manifest, all these things, and it's hard.
1: So, since you brought up Bellerman, I was going to give a plug for our friend Ryan. You know, I got a yes. copy of his translation of On the Church. Yeah, I got mine right here. Nice, dude.
0: So
1: this is up, what Bellerman.
0: If you know what's up. You're reading Bellerman. That's right. All the people I know who are seriously struggling right now, trying to make a figure this whole thing out, we're all reading yeah. Bellerman, sharing yeah. notes.
1: And it's the what is this? The, it's the 400th anniversary of his death. This Correct. Year. Yeah, and Ryan has written an excellent uh, two-part series for CFN. I highly recommend. He was it down
0: here in it. Dallas at Modern Day for Turning St. Peter, giving a presentation right. this past week, and that's why I, I connected with him.
1: So I'm on page 237 of On the Church. Okay. And St. Robert Bellarmine defines the church, the traditional definition. He says The Catholic teaching is that the church is only one, not two. And the body of men of the same Christian profession and of the same sacraments gathered in communion is one and true under the rule of legitimate pastors and especially of the one vicar of Christ on earth, the Roman pontiff. End quote. There you go. That is the church. That's it. It's not open for discussion. We don't need a straw poll.
0: That's it. Yeah,
1: everybody get...
0: uh, Ryan Grant has done all these translations. Here's a picture of him and I. he will come up on the screen, yeah. It's kind of a shaky picture. His hand was shaky. I think too many cigars or something, but we met up, and we talked about all this (laughs) stuff, man. We got into... Robert Bellarmine, and, you know, because Bellarmine is a Jesuit, a good Jesuit, and he's writing in response to all the Protestants, and all their heavy punches against Catholic tradition, Catholic dogma, particularly what is the church, and what about the Pope, what about bad Popes, and all that, so he really is, I mean, he wrote the Summa on the church, yeah. It's not called the man the was a genius Yeah, he's a complete genius. He a he's, genius And really I think That's the best source for us to study As Catholics in a troubling time
1: So that's the first thematic nu- uh, of, of the ten thematic nuclei Next we have under the heading Listening How are the laity Especially young people And women Listened to There you go That That's the next big question <clears throat> under skipping down a little bit number four it's young the headings, people and women
0: yep
1: yeah. number number two is how are the laity especially young people and women listened to number th- number four skipping down a little bit under the heading of celebrating it says journeying together is only possible if it is based on communal listening to the word and the celebration of the Eucharist. Notice they give the the priority to the communal listening to the word, the Protestant understanding of, of liturgy, and then secondarily, the celebration of the Eucharist. So here's what they wanna know. This is part of this survey process. How do we promote the active participation of all the faithful in the liturgy and the exercise of the sanctifying function so this is going beyond Sancra Sanctum Concilium, mm-hmm. which is where we got the whole, um, you know, active participation of the faithful. And they're going beyond that to say exercise of the sanctifying function, yeah. which is the realm of the priesthood. Right. <clears throat> which one
0: of the things that Cardinal Martini, to go back to him, wanted was more and more lay ministry. I think he saw that post-Vatican II, your priestly ministry and your vocations were already tanking. Right. So their idea is, well, yeah, we don't need a bunch of dudes with the collars on, the vestments. Let's just have your grandma and Uncle Jed and everybody up around the altar doing all the priestly functions. That's more communal. That's more synodal. And, of course, what that means is a young man who's 15 to 18 years old Right. who's maybe discerning a religious vocation, like, well, I just don't want to be the guy who's standing up there and then hands the ciborium to Grandma. And right. To Jed. Exactly. right. Or just sit there on the side while Deacon Larry gives the sermon. And right. then at the end, someone gives a, gets up and does a 12-minute announcement.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, what young man wants to pursue that? Not me. Definitely not. So here... Just a couple more examples under these uh, thematic nuclei. We have under the heading Dialogue in Church and Society. What experiences of dialogue and shared commitment do we have with believers of other religions and with non-believers? That's on the survey.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yep. And also, how are lay ministries and the assumption of responsibility by the faithful promoted so uh, the themes here are are pretty clear you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly what we expected right
1: Right.
0: so i'm going to do a summary of what you've taught us today matt because we're getting here towards the end i'm going to do a summary and then you tell me did i get it correct and then fill in what i missed
1: all right
0: pope francis has taught us that in the third millennium god expects and wants A different church with a new church, not a new church, a different church.
1: Right. A different style of being that expresses
0: itself in what is called synodality. Right. Synodality is understood in two ways, the way I've heard you talking about it. Listening to people and journeying with people. Mm -hmm. And the listening and the journeying is for the people of God. But it does not exclude any person on earth, including people of other religions. Right. So the synodal process includes all humans. It's not anything. It's hosted by the Catholic church. Right. And everyone is giving input into what the church should be and be doing through this synodal listening and journeying together. Yep. Did I get it, and did I miss anything?
1: I think that sums it up pretty well, and maybe just to recap, to go back to the quote I shared at the beginning from Archbishop Vigano, which I think sums it up so well, Uh, His Excellency said back in June of 2020, quote, that from Vatican II onwards, a parallel church, a different church, so to speak, was built, superimposed over and diametrically opposed to the true Church of Christ. You could also call it like a virus within the mystical body of Christ right. to use Ferrara's language. Yeah, I like virus. Uh, I mean, I don't this, like viruses, but... Right. This parallel church, says Vigano, progressively obscured the divine institution founded by our Lord in order to replace it with the, with a spurious entity corresponding to the desired universal religion. I see that all over this synod. Universal religion. abud think Abu
0: Yep. Abu Dhabi. Uh,
1: that was first theorized by masonry. So I think to sum up and end this program, I would say we are in the end stages of this building, of this pr- parallel church, of this virus growing and infecting and infesting the mystical body of Christ. We've got to be reaching the end stages of it uh, some sometime soon.
0: Yeah. Well, I keep saying I think we'll, sometime in the 2050s, we're in 2021. I think in the 2050s, that's my gut, right? Yeah. not a prop, but it didn't receive a private relay. I think that's what we're going to start seeing. If our Lord doesn't return, I think that's when we might start seeing the reform. That's just right. my gut. I want to ask you something, Matt. Sure. How much would I have to pay you to get the Synod of Synodality logo tattooed on your arm? <laughs> like uh, you're at no. the beach... And you like got the Synod twenty twenty one twenty three logo tat.
1: You mean the crayon drawing?
0: The crayon drawing,
1: <laughs> permanent
0: on your skin. Oh my! Be bad, no,
1: it? Yeah, no amount of money for sure. Right, how about to get
0: one? your car in a wrap? You know, like a car wrap, mm. the hood, everything Synod twenty
1: twenty one. Unbelievable. It's no good. You know one thing before we close out that came to mind, which ties into all of this universal religion first theorized by masonry in Abu Dhabi. Uh, viewers may recall and Archbishop Vigano was early on calling it out in late 2019 this Abrahamic family house monstrosity where you got the the church, so-called uh, the mosque and the synagogue all in one complex, yeah. which is be it's being built all in facing Abu each Dhabi. other right yeah right in this garden setting like this, I guess they want it to be like a new Garden of Eden or some yep. some nonsense. That is set. That is due to be completed while this synod is going on. It's due to be completed oh, man. sometime you next year. You know they're going to be doing some wax so stuff there. So I would there. not doubt at all if part of this synod involves going to that place. So if, you, if that on, happens, I'm put it on, you I'm heard it here 1st
0: put it on the uh, screen so that people can see it. Look at this, people. This is the Abrahamic houses of prayer. They look like shopping malls. I don't know. They look horrible. They, they look,
1: look like, like space monolithic. Cubes. Yeah, exactly. Anyway,
0: one's allegedly a Catholic church. One's a mosque and one's a synagogue. And when there's like a little, uh, yeah, outdoor garden in between them and everyone's supposed to go there. And what my, my question is, is why, why have the three buildings aren't? By having the church, aren't you excluding the Jews and the Muslims? Right. Shouldn't they all be one building? I mean, that's the next phase.
1: Maybe they'll be connected by corridors at some point. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Just put a big dome over it. Right. So this this is all nonsense. And vegano has been calling it out. And everybody's like, oh, vegano's crazy. And then look what happens. Stuff yep. comes true. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Matt Gaspers, thanks. Everybody follow Matt on Twitter. I love following Matt on Twitter. He has humorous stuff. He has informative stuff. Um, And of course uh, he does a lot of work at CFN. Um, The website is linked in the show notes already um, below. And is there anything else that you want to tell people about Matt before we sign off?
1: I just encourage folks to check out our weekly news roundup show. We try to put a lot of effort into gathering up, you know, three or four major stories from the week and, Going, giving some in-depth analysis and commentary. So that's available on our YouTube channel, Catholic Family News. We also post it on our website, catholicfamilynews.com. And we're also on Rumble. You can find us there as well.
0: Good. I'm on Rumble too, but I don't always post there. I need to get better on that. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, pray the rosary every day. If you don't pray the rosary, you're not on the team. I and Matt Gaspers believe that the problem of our time was foretold by Our Lady in the Third Secret. And the solution is the consecration of Russia. It's the observance of the first Saturdays, and it's praying a third of the rosary every day. Pray the rosary every day. That's what we do. Don't get scared. Don't get mad. Don't lose hope. Rattle the beads. Pick up the beads and pray the beads. That's your job. Do your job and of course read scripture read robert Ballerman, read the catechism of trent teach your kids baltimore catechism get real with it um if you like this please like the video thumbs up please share it on facebook you are our algorithm and yes. please subscribe to this channel dr taylor marshall and catholic family news where you can watch matt gaspers and remember our lord jesus christ is you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth So go out there and be salty. Matt Gaspers, thank you so much. Thank
1: you. God bless.